are so pumped that you've been listening through to these episodes in the, yeah, that's my dad podcast. I hope that they have not only made you smile and laugh a little bit, but also given you a window into what the grace of God looks like in a regular ordinary life like my dad has lived. We are halfway done with the first season, and what we wanted to do here is pause for a second and just put together a little episode of bonus stories. We're trying to keep the episodes around 20 to 25 minutes max, and so there's a lot of stuff that hits the cutting board and some just really awesome stories. So we wanted to drop one bonus story for each of the five episodes that we have done so far. And also, don't forget as you listen to these, these are not the first time ever that this man is telling these stories. They have been staples in our family and extended family's life for years. And so around dinner tables and in living rooms, we have laughed and laughed over some of his adventures and some of the crazy stuff that has happened to him. And I hope you find it enjoyable and wholesome and funny as well. Don't forget, if you've been listening, the only way people are getting connected to this podcast is by getting referred to it. So not only would it be great if you subscribed, but also just let some people know, hey, I'm listening to this cool thing about the grace of God in this old guy, Glenn Cruz's life, and his son's doing it with him. And I think it might be of benefit to you. All right, here we go with five bonus stories. Hope you enjoy it. Bonus story one comes from the Queens episode, my dad's childhood. He was in trouble all the time. And this is one story we've heard a thousand times of um, a crazy thing that happened to him playing hide and seek. Well, here we are. Youngster, maybe nine, ten years old, and it was about six or seven or eight of us. Down the street from my house was a uh, pipe yard. It's the New York City Department of Works. And... They had so much equipment there because they were working on the streets, all kinds of pipes and concrete vaults. So we used to go down there, sneak in behind this tree. We cut a hole in the fence, and we used to play hide-and-seek, three against three, four against four. And on this, this episode down there, me and George and Peter, we took off and said, give us some time. We're going to find a good spot. you got to find us. And this yard had... Stacks and stacks of these black cast iron pipe for sewage, probably two feet wide. And a lot of them had, through the years, the chocks that held them in have broken, and they have fallen every which way. And one fell on a 45-degree angle, sticking way up in the air. And I spotted that, and I said, wow, what a great place to hide. Never going to find me. Made my way up there, and George went somewhere, and Peter went somewhere, and Slid down this pipe. It had to be, I think they were standard size, 20 feet long. And it was thick metal. Slid down there. When I got to the bottom, I said, this is not a good idea. It got dark. And I thought, am I going to get out of here? So the only way to get out was to, like a duck, use your elbows. Slide up. However, George came by 
And he flew down and landed on top of me. Man, if you've ever been claustrophobic, you ever been in a plane, you think it's going to go down, or you're lost in sea, <laughs> this is where we were. I said, George, this is terrible. I'm getting claustrophobic. I can't breathe. Forget about this game. we got to get out of this pipe. So he was a little bit heavy, and he got his elbows, and he's saying to me, you're right. We don't belong in this pipe. This is way too scary. So we were really scared. And just it had to be about 10 minutes, and we were losing breath. I felt as though I was going to slide back down, making my way up, making my way up. George finally got to the top. And these, these, these pipes had a big lip on them where they fit together. He grabbed the lip, pulled himself up, and I was three-quarters of the way up. I said, don't go anywhere, George. Get your hand down here and grab me. Pull me out. I got to get out of here. We were sweating. It was summer, so it was like 85, 90. And he finally grabbed me, and we get out, and maybe that might have been my first experience of believing in God. I wasn't too sure. We got out, we were so happy, and we surrendered. We says, here we are, we quit, game over. So that was one of our, our our youth things that we did together. And we never went back to play in the pipe yard again. Okay, bonus story number two. This one's from my dad's time in Vietnam, which we did a whole episode on. My dad is not a big-time rule follower. He does not mind writing outside of the lines. And so you knew there would be a struggle to fall in line in the military. Well, here's a story about him having a hard time with the sergeant of his and the fallout from that incident. We had this one sergeant who was breaking our chops, especially me. One night at 2 o'clock in the morning in the mess hall, he was in front of me, and he just kept bugging me. And I said, I had enough. So I took the tray of my food and smashed him on the head with it. Oh, wow. He was a sergeant. Right. He was an E6 sergeant. Everything went everywhere, and everybody said, stop. And the captain commenced, what's the matter? And we had a disagreement. He said, you're coming to my office tomorrow. We both went to the office. We told him that we didn't get along with each other. And we got we called an Article 15. I lost a rank. He lost his rank. And in addition to everyday routine, we had to do 15, um, two hours of extra work at night, cleaning up around the barracks. So it was really a bummer. And that time, at that time, it took me off guard duty because they probably didn't think I would be too good. All right, bonus story number three. This one's from that Margie episode. And there's no way to understand my mom and dad's early years of marriage without understanding how close they were to Samuel and Louise Quintero. Louise was my mom's older sister. And my mom came over from Puerto Rico to Brooklyn. That's who she lived with. And they became inseparable older, younger sister friends, just super tight. Well, Louise's husband, Sam, was an amazing man and a survivor. He was in uh, New York City cop and had a terrible accident where he fell on the subway and actually had to have both of his legs from just below the knee amputated. And so he learned how to live life as a double amputee 
And I am telling you, it never slowed him down. What a man of courage and resolve. Uh, but it also opened the door for a lot of hilarious stories that went along with that reality in his life and my dad's life. So here's a story that my dad loves to tell about loving his uh, brother-in-law, Sam. One day, Sam says, come on, Glenn, we're going to go for a ride. I said, why? Well, we have to pick something up. And, you know, even though he had an amputee, in those days he had some really not-so-good legs, not like they have nowadays. So he needed help to get around. He says, we're going to go the King's Highway, and I want you to do me a favor. I said, okay. We pull up in front of a drugstore, and he says, I'm manic prophylactics. And he says, I want you to go in there and order me a couple of dozen. Okay. I said, oh, okay, Sam. I went in there, and who do you think is at the cash register? This beautiful young 19-year-old girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. And I'm saying to her, I need to get a couple dozen prophylactics. It doesn't matter what they are, but I need to tell you that they're not really for me. <laughs> and she goes, like under her breath, yeah, right. I said, no, they're for my brother-in-law. And he can't come in because he doesn't have any legs. <laughs> and she goes, oh, sure. And I said, he's out front in the car. You can go out and talk to him. <laughs> and she says, no, that's okay. Here you go. I gave her the money, and I think we both walked out laughing. <laughs> that's the most bogus story ever invented. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a funny one with Sam. And he didn't blush. He said, thank you. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it's a very personal thing, but anyway, that's how that went down. <laughs> Bonus story number four, and this one I already know, not just because I've heard it, but because I lived it. I was there for this one, and it will make no sense if you don't understand that Glenn and Margaret Cruz, because of their gospel convictions, literally are walking dictionary definitions of hospitality, of living an open life with an open heart and an open home to whoever needs to be loved. We have had so many people live with us for different stints during my childhood and teenage years, and it is because they just found a safe, healing, gospel place with my parents, wherever that was. But also remember, when you live that way, you open yourself up to some crazy town volatile stuff going down because you are living life in the trenches with people whose lives are broken. And so it's tense in the moment and you're trusting Christ to lead you, but it also ends up with a lot of funny stories. Here's one. At this time of our lives, Mark and I were living in Staten Island. We're going to a big church, Calvary Tabernacle, growing every single weekend youth, young people, and we were a big part of it. And Margaret and I were just always involved. And the young people kind of gravitated towards us. Uh, Margaret was a great mentor. And there was this one girl, Jeanette, lots of problems with her family, 
lots of problems, who she was. And at that time, she had a boyfriend called Lee. And she kind of asked us, can I come spend some time at your house? At that time, Dad and I, my dad and I made a room downstairs with a bed and a nice place to go. And we said, sure, Jeanette. So we took her in. And Matthew and James and Jeanette got along great. And then one day, Lee Harmon pulls up in front of my house. And he's blowing a horn and gets out. And he starts yelling, Jeanette, Jeanette, I need to talk to you. Get down here. I know you're there. So I went to the door and I said, Lee, what's the matter? He says, Glenn, I need to get in and I need to talk to Jeanette. Our relationship is crumbling and I want to find out what's going on. Jeanette was downstairs and she came up and I went back in. I said, what do you think, Jeanette? You want to talk to him? We'll be with you. She says, yeah. Gets out of the car. And I noticed when he's walking up the steps, his firearm is in his hand because he was a uh, corrections officer. I'm saying, this ain't going to be good. So mom says, Matthew, James, go upstairs, go in the bedroom, shut the door, and do not say a word. Lee comes in, opens the door. I said, first thing I have to do, Lee, is I need to secure your firearm. I need to get it out of your hand. I need to hold on to it. And then we could talk some civil talk here which you used to. We're in the living room, and it wasn't like, Jeanette, will you take me back? No. What the heck? Where have you been? You left me dry. You said you love me. You don't care. What are you doing? And she starts screaming, you're a jerk. You're too forceful. You're dangerous. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. This went on for about 20 minutes. And then Margaret put the white flag up and says, wait a minute. Let's be civil. Let's try and talk this thing out good. And finally, the rage of Jeanette slowed down. The rage of Lee slowed down. And we talked and we says, you guys need to find out where you're going, what you're doing, how you're going to do it. It's not going to go anywhere where it's going here. So what do you think? They didn't even want to pray or nothing. So I says, well, I think you have said enough. I don't want this thing to get any more crazy. I think you should leave, Lee. And you okay with that? She says, yeah, I really am. And she went downstairs. I went back, retrieved his firearm. I walked outside with him with my arm on him. And he's a friend of mine. We played softball together. I said, Lee, don't ever bring this firearm here again. And you need to see maybe your relationship is over. Maybe it's not. Let's see. Got in his car and left. Right away, Mom and I went upstairs. And as we were going upstairs, we were yelling, all clear, all clear. And when we got to your door, Mom tried to open it. We couldn't get in. I said, you guys all right? Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have every piece of furniture in front of the door, the bed, the dresser. The work table, the the lamp. You guys barred yourself in there because, you know, guy had a gun, his rifle, his, 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 sorry, his revolver. And you were young. You were 9, 10 years old. And you, we finally got you out. And you looked out and you said, are you sure he's gone? I said, yeah, it's all clear. 
Don't worry about it. Let's all get downstairs and have some lunch and let this episode pass. So that was a story of Jeanette. We've had other experiences with other people who lived with us, who had troubled families, troubled stuff, but nothing was like this one here. Bonus story number five. This one is fast and funny. My parents were deeply involved in ministry in the early years of their marriage. One of those ways was through something called the Lost and Found, which was just a, a ministry for folks in Brooklyn who just needed to find Christ and who were struggling with addiction and abuse and craziness in their lives. And so this was a funny story of trying to figure out, hey, how do we love these people but not let things spin out of control? And at that time, we were just in the beginning of starting a Lost and Found in Sunset Park, Fifth Avenue, which wasn't too far from our church. You just couldn't walk in. You had to be like a detox room where we had to make sure that you were sober enough to be able to understand what we were saying and not bring any of your drugs in there. So at the same time, Margaret's cousin came down from college, and uh, he was outside, and one of the guys says, you better go outside and see what's going on. Ricky is in a fight. He's in a fight. So I ran down there quickly, and there he was pushing, shoving about six of these guys. I got in the middle and says, what's going on? This guy says we can't come up to the lost and found. I said, well, why not? He says, uh, because we have devil's disciples on our jackets. I said, do you devil's disciples? He says, yeah. We're devil's disciples. We're a motorcycle club. So I said, you are? Where's your motorcycles? He says, we don't have any. <laughs> so wait a minute. You're a motorcycle club and you don't have any? Well, we're trying to get them. So I said to Ricky, all right, give him a pass. And let's go. All right. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Yeah, That's My Dad. Remember the two things that would be great for you to do. Subscribe and spread the word. Cruise.studio backslash dad has all the backstory, all the pictures, and all the episodes, you can point people there.